Good morning. I hope you've been able to enjoy some of this weather. Uh, you will not hear complaining from the pulpit today about the weather that we have had. It's been great. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32 is where we're going to be today. Uh, if you are new around here, one of the things that we uh, value is to walk through books of the Bible, preaching and teaching. And back in January, we started a study of 1 Corinthians, and we slowly started walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and uh, in the summer months of June and July, we're kind of coming up for air, and we're going to take a little bit of a breather. We'll pick up 1 Corinthians again at the end of July, and it'll take us, that series will take us all the way to Christmas. But in the summer months, we're going to be studying through different Old Testament stories that kind of walk us through this idea of daring to draw near to God. Like, what does it look like in the midst of difficulty? What does it look like in the midst of great joy? What does it look like in the midst of feeling numb to certain things? Whatever it is you're going through in the extraordinary moments or the low moments, what does it look like for us to lean in and actually draw near uh, to the presence of God in our lives? So we're going to spend the summer in the Old Testament. And I thought there's no better way to start out this series than with the story that we're going to study today in the life of Jacob. And so we will get to... Genesis 32 in just a moment, but I want us to spend a few moments praying before we jump into God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word, to hear from you. May it not be lost on us that these next few moments we have an opportunity to hear what you have to say to us from your word. And that's our prayer, God, not from the wisdom of man or any kind of clever wording, but simply from your word. We ask you to speak to us, and we trust you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, there are places that I will remember all of my life. There are places I will remember all of my life. While those are the lyrics to a catchy Beatles song that some of you already have rolling in your head, uh, they are also a truth that most of us can relate to. I reached out to some friends this past week, and I asked them this question. I said, hey, can you tell me of a location, a place in life where something took place in your story that was so significant that it changed you? You went into this moment at this place, one person, and because of what took place in your life at that place during that time, you came out of that experience a completely different person. And it didn't take long for the stories to roll in. These stories are reflective of some friends in my life, but a lot of the people here in our church family as well. Here's a few examples of answers to that question. I remember when my grandma and grandpa used to take me and my sister upstate uh, to, give us, to give my mom a break. They'd take us upstate every summer. My sister and I revisited that place a few years ago. And as soon as we got there, the smell of the air that night brought us right back to all of those memories. I remember the booth at the Denny's restaurant with my parents on February the 12th when I started my journey to sobriety. I remember my first trip to Haiti, a country that I would later move to and adopt a beautiful little girl from. There was no jetway connecting to the terminal. You walked down the stairs of the plane right onto the tarmac, and when you left that plane and the door opened, the hot air hit you immediately. The humidity, probably 95 degrees. I'll never forget it. The Grand Canyon. We visited the week of our son's accident and his death with our family and some co-workers of his. I will always remember all of the details, the different colors, and the huge expanse. A reminder to me in that moment that God created that beautiful view with all of its distance and variations of colors, plant life, and topography 
I was comforted in that moment knowing that he had created our son for a specific purpose in the 23 years of life he gave him. I can still smell the basement room of the church that I was in when I got the call that my son was receiving CPR. I can remember the sound of my boots hitting the floor as I ran out of that building. The sound of the engine in the car that I was riding in. I could still feel the rain hit my face as I ran to him, amazed that he was awake. The entire experience is vivid and burned into my mind. I remember walking down the still, cold hospital, almost empty hospital hallway, alone, hand in hand with my wife, with no car seat, knowing that our son, our baby, wasn't going to come home with us. It's lighting the mood, just a little. I remember climbing a mountain in Colorado with... Um, my wife and son, this one's from Ryan, I'm just spilling the beans, uh, <laughs> with Catherine and Conrad, a 13er. There we were at the top of this mountain staring at a nearby 14,000-foot peak called Holy Cross in 30 to 40-degree temperatures, and Conrad blew out his diaper, a total blowout, and we were not prepared for that blowout, and I've never forgotten that trip. There are places that I will remember all of my life locations, experiences that took place in these places that have changed us forever. The Bible's full of these kind of stories, and I don't know about you, but I look forward to talking to some people when I get to heaven one day about some of these experiences. I look forward to asking Moses, what was it really like at the burning bush? I mean, I'm sure he'll recall every little detail of what was going on around him. I want to know from the Apostle Paul, what was it like when you experienced that blinding light on the road to Damascus? And I'm sure he'll recall the smell of the air, the temperature around him, the feelings that he had going into him, and knowing that when he came out of that experience, he was a completely different person. And today we're going to look at an experience in the life of Jacob that changed him forever. He went into this experience one person, and because of what God did in that place at that time, he came out of that experience a completely different person, changed forever. We're going to learn quite a bit about what it looks like for us as we walk with God and dare to draw near to him. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. Let's get confused here for just a moment, and then we'll bring some clarity to it. That night... Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. We're going to pause there for a minute. Jacob's on the run from something. He's trying to get away from something, and he's headed back towards something else that might be familiar to him. But in order to understand what's really taking place here, we got to know a little bit more about Jacob's story. Jacob's story starts all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, the very beginning pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God makes this promise to people. He creates human beings in his own image, and he begins with Adam and... All right, let's just stay with me, all right? Adam and Eve, he begins with them. And he wants to bless human beings, and he wants to do it through their children, but then something happens. Human beings begin to make one bad decision after another. They begin to mess up over and over and over again. They begin to sin, and that sin becomes a really big problem until you get to Genesis chapter 11, and they decide to build this giant tower to get themselves to God because they can be gods and no longer will need God. Well, God, the only God, scatters them at that point and almost reboots the whole thing. And he does so through 
who we would come to know as Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarai at the time in Genesis chapter 12. And he makes this covenant promise that he's going to bless all of creation through this one particular family moving forward. Well, the time comes, and after many poor mistakes, and you can learn quite a bit about the fact that it's totally okay to be human and make mistakes. You learn that from Abraham as he makes mistake after mistake and still leans in and dares to draw near to the Lord. As a result, he's blessed with a child eventually named Isaac, who God, decide, God tells him, I'm going to continue the blessing of my people through Isaac. And then after mistake after mistake in Isaac's life, the time comes where God says, I'm going to continue my blessing into your children and enter in the story of Jacob. Well, Jacob, when we meet him, he's born into this world as a twin brother, which really complicates some things because you're thinking, okay, well, who is it that's going to get the blessing? Well, God comes and tells Isaac, and he eventually even tells Jacob that Jacob's the one that I'm going to bless, but Jacob doesn't come out first, but he does come out fighting, right? Esau's born, and when Esau's taken out of the womb, they can't even get Esau out of the womb because his little brother Jacob's holding on to his heel. That's really the meaning, heel grabber of his name. From the very beginning of his story, this is going to become the tale of his life. He was someone who was going to fight for his way. He's going to earn his way. He's going to manipulate, deceive, and do whatever it takes to get whatever he wanted. He's holding on to Esau's heel when they come out. Now, these two brothers were really different from one another. Though they were twins, they were completely different. Esau was this tough guy. He liked to hunt. He liked to be outside. The Bible says he was really, really hairy. What a legacy, right? He's like a character off of Duck Dynasty. Okay, that's what you picture... When you picture Esau, right, this rough, tough, you know, macho type of guy, Jacob was not so much. He was more of an indoors type of guy. We know he had smooth skin. He liked to cook. He probably watched The Bachelor, had a Pinterest account, and a cat, too. <laughs> I already got it. <laughs> Let it sink in. I, I did the cat thing again. And he, all summer, we're going to work that in, okay? <laughs> These two brothers were polar opposites. Polar opposites. When they went to the swimming pool, it was not hard to tell which one's Esau and which one's Jacob. Okay? They were completely different physically and in every other way. We also know that this family wasn't, they, they were a religious family. They were like a lot of people that come to church today. They were kind of on the fringes of religion. They knew about God and they were going to do the religious thing. And they even knew enough about God that they would call on God when they needed him. But they kind of stayed on the outside, the outskirts of religion. They didn't have a really deep relationship with God. Right? This, this family did. On top of all of that now, knowing that they're just kind of a religiously well-behaving family to an extent. I mean, they still made poor choices, but they're just kind of on the fringes of things. And on top of all of that, you mix into a complicated family dynamic of poor parenting. The Bible tells us that Isaac chose a favorite of his children, which is just detrimental to the development of a child, but he favored Esau. And their mom, Rebecca, favored Jacob. And so you have this house divided. And in all of this, this is where this Jacob developed. From the very beginning of his story, he was one that had to continue to deceive, to manipulate, to do whatever it took to get his way. So you fast forward just a little bit in their teenage years. Esau's out hunting, doing his Duck Dynasty thing. He comes back in. He's hungry. I mean, he's really hungry. And so he notices that Jacob, in his indoor uh, skills, had just cooked up a whole thing of stew. And he says, I want some of that stew. I'm hungry. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob does what Jacob always did. He's like, all right, there's an angle here. I can work this angle. 
got a plan here. I'm going to get the upper hand on my brother Esau. And so he's going to negotiate. And when you negotiate, you always start high. You don't start low and try to work your way up. And then you're going to make a bad deal. So what does he do? He starts out high. He says, I want your birthright. Thinking he probably won't give me his birthright, but we can negotiate a Tesla or something like that out of the inheritance, I'm sure. And so he's going to start high and negotiate his way. But sure enough, what does Esau do? Esau looks at him and says, man, I'm so hungry. What good is my birthright? If I die of hunger tonight, you can have it. And so deception, big deception number one, taken care of. Jacob secures the birthright. Well, now you fast forward a few more years, and Isaac, their dad's older in age. His hearing's bad. His vision's bad. And it's time for him to start thinking through, how am I going to give my blessing? Well, again, God had come to Isaac, and he had come to Jacob, and he made it very, very clear that the person who's going to continue my blessings is Jacob, not Esau. But Isaac struggled with that. And what you pick up on the story, if you pay close attention, is Isaac had a wrestling match with God, too. It was kind of a theme in this family. So Isaac begins to wrestle with God in that he wanted to give the birthright, the blessing. He wanted to bless Esau and not Jacob, even though God had told him the other way. But he resisted God. And we don't know the details of why. It could have been the cultural pressure. You know, in those days, culturally speaking, if your family name was going to be prominent, then when your firstborn child came along, your firstborn son, they would receive the bulk of the inheritance and they would continue on the family name. And God's telling him, you can't do that. You got to give it to Jacob, not to Esau. And Isaac struggled with that to the point where he decided, I'm going to resist God. I'm going to go against what God's told me. And I'm going to give this blessing to the child that I want to give it to, which is Esau. And so he tells Esau, Esau, I want you to go out and I want you to kill something. I want you to cook up a good meal. And when you've done that, come back in and I'm going to give you the blessing. Well, Esau goes out hunting and Jacob and Rebekah, they now have their opportunity. What do they do? They have this chance. I've got this opportunity Deception number two begins. They decide we're going to go in and we're going to steal this blessing from our father. And what's fascinating is that Jacob already knew he was going to be the chosen one. So he's going to steal the very blessing that God had already promised was his. Because he's so locked into his deceptive ways. And so that's what he does. They decide, all right, well, how do we do this? we got to trick our dad. Well, dad's older. He can't really see, can't really hear. If I disguise my voice enough, I can sound like Esau, I'm sure. But what if he reaches out and touches my smooth skin, right? And you know, Harry back Esau, like that's never going to happen. Like we got to figure something out. And so mom and son decide we're going to strap some hair to you. But then what if, I mean, his smell's still pretty good. But all right, well, we got to, so we're going to rub meat all over your body. And so go grab a piece of meat, all right? And we'll rub a piece all over you. Grab another piece. We'll throw it in the air fryer. We'll bring it in. We'll trick him. He'll think that Esau just made him something, okay? And so that's what they do. They're going to get ready. They go in. Now, when I was reading that through this week, I, I just, I felt bad for Esau. Think about this. Let's play Bible character game. And I'm going to dress up like Esau. All right, strap animal hair to your body, rub meat all over you so you can smell like, like this guy's whole legacy is like, man, I just kind of feel bad for him. Like, that's how you're remembered. Hairy and smelly, okay? And that's, that's Esau. So they go in, and he's all hairy, and he disguises his voice. And sure enough, they trick Isaac. Isaac gives up the birthright, gives up the blessing, gives it to Jacob. Well, Jacob comes out of that. He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, I deceived my brother, and I got the birthright. I deceived my father, and I got his blessing. Everything's going. I know God told me he was going to do it, but I sure stepped up and did my part, didn't I? And so he's feeling pretty good. But the Bible says that Isaac wasn't too grateful for the way he had been duped. The Bible literally says in the, in the original language, he's shaking with anger, shaking. But why is he mad? I don't think he's mad at Jacob. I think in that moment, what Isaac's realizing is that he had lost to God. He realized that God had told him ahead of time, it's going to go to Jacob, 
No, God, I'm going to do it my way. It's going to go to Jacob. Isaac, my sovereign will will be accomplished. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, uh, and in that moment, he realizes, oh, I've been resisting the will of God all this time. I've been resisting what God had told me that I needed to do this entire time. He'd had his own little wrestling match with God that whole time. But when Esau finds out, he's pretty angry too. And so he comes to his dad and he says, okay, I, I understand that he stole my birthright and he deceived you into getting the blessing, but what's the big deal? Just give me the blessing now. Like, you don't have to honor that. Just put the blessing onto me and we can move on. Everybody will know that I'm the firstborn and I'll have the blessing and we'll go on from there. But then Isaac throws us a curveball in the story, though he favored Esau. He stopped and said, I'm not going to give you the blessing. I'm not going to continue this blessing. I'm not going to pour out that blessing. And Esau's just like, what do you mean? Why? And I think in that moment, the words that he shares are, I blessed Jacob, and he is the one who will be blessed. I think what he's doing in that moment is he's repenting. What Isaac's declaring is, I'm done fighting God. I'm done resisting him. I'm done going against what he wants. This is what the Lord wills. This is what we're going to do. But Esau's not done fighting. He says in that moment, because of what you've done, you deceived me, you deceived our dad. I'm going to kill you. He says, I'm going to give, I'm going to let my father die, give my family a little bit of time to mourn, and then I'm going to go after my brother and I'm going to kill him. Well, guess what? Jacob, Rebecca, they hear about this and they decide, hey, he's got to get out of here and we got to get our son gone. And so that's what they do. They send him on and they come up with this other plan. They're going to come in and they're going to get away with his uncle Laban. Well, when he arrives at his uncle Laban's home, he finds this beautiful girl and he falls in love with her named Rachel. And he wants to win the heart of Rachel. So what does Laban do? He says, well, if you'll work for me for seven years, you can have her. And now it's time for the deceiver to be deceived kind of runs in the family, makes any dysfunctional family you've heard of have some hope, okay? <laughs> you talk about dysfunctional families, this is pretty twisted. Well, Laban tricks him seven years later, and it's time for the wedding day, and instead of marrying Rachel, I don't know, I, I, that's another, how did he pull that off? But instead of marrying Rachel, he marries Rachel's sister Leah, who Laban was worried he wouldn't be able to marry off. Well, when he figures out he's been like, like, what in the world? Like, why did this happen? Laban's like, oh, it's okay. You can have Rachel too. You just got to work another seven years. So he lets him marry her, and then he works another seven years. By the time we get to what we just read, it's been 20 years since Jacob ran away. 20 years of his life, and he hasn't stopped deceiving people. Matter of fact, he's come to the end of himself and he's realized that he'd been tricked by Laban, but he wasn't going to stop being the great deceiver. And so he's like, I got I to gotta trick my uncle Laban because I got to get out of here. I got to get my family and get away from him. And so here's what we're going to do. And he, and he tricks Laban and he's able to free his family. But then he realizes the only place to go is back there. And, I've, and he hears about Esau and Esau's got this giant army and this army's coming. And all he remembers about is Esau has an army. And what was the last thing Esau told me? I'm going to kill you. And so now he's thinking, I'm going to die. So what do I do? I need to deceive Esau. How are we going to do this? And immediately you just see this guy. He just can't turn it off. This is just who he is. I'm going to manipulate my way into what I want. I'm going to con my way into getting my way. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to deceive whoever it takes for me to get to my goals. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's what he does. He turns it on. He says, all right, we're going to divide our family. So if this army of Esau's come, I'm going to send half my family over here and half my family over here. If he catches one half, the other half will live and, and the other half will die. That'll be fine. But before he even does that, I'm going to send him all these gifts. And so he sends him wave after wave after wave of gifts livestock, money, resources, because he's trying to buy his brother's forgiveness. And the whole time God said, you don't have to worry about this. I'll protect you. Now, all of that history is important because it brings us to this fascinating line in verse 24. Jacob 
was left alone. The first time, everybody's gone. There's no one to trick, no one to deceive, no plan to work, nobody to work over, no one to con. He's by himself. The plan's in place. Here we go. And he turns, and the Bible says that he sees this man that he wrestles with until daybreak. Now, he might have thought this was one of Esau's agents, like one of his warriors, one of his military guys. We don't know that. We don't know what took place. We don't know the, the, the initial, who are you? Who are you? Let's fight. Like it, we don't know if it went down like that, okay? But what we do know is all of a sudden there's a wrestling match that ensues. When the man saw, verse 25, that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was, was touched near that tendon. So he, he remains alone on the north bank of the river, sends his family on their way, turns, sees what we would call is a theophany. Okay? This is a physical manifestation, a human-like form of God. So God in a human-like form appears to him. The man that meets him there in my opinion, is no other than the angel of the Lord, the same angel of the Lord that had appeared to his grandpa Abraham. Now he's going to begin wrestling with this angel of the Lord, and he begins to wrestle with him. And this wrestling match is going, and it's going on. And, and the, the angel of the Lord had decided not to use any kind of supernatural powers at the beginning of this wrestling match. They're just going at it. They're wrestling, okay? And this wrestling match continues to take place until daybreak. Well, the angel doesn't want him to see his face. And so, like, hey, daybreak, we can't keep wrestling. This is an all-night wrestling match. And he decides, all right, some supernatural power. He touches his hip, lodges his hip, like creates this pain, this, this horrible pain in his hip. But Jacob still won't let go. It's to me as if he's come to the end of himself. He's realized, I am not going to stop until I get this blessing. I have wasted my entire life being this deceptive, manipulative person, always having to get my way. And he's at the end of his rope. I'm not letting go until things change for me. How do we know that, though? Well, I think it's because this angel asks Jacob the most important question he's ever been asked in his entire life. He asks him the question, what's your name? Now, you might comically think you're gonna the angel of the Lord is going to wrestle this guy doesn't even know his name. Well, he knew his name. He wasn't asking because he didn't know it. He was asking it because he wanted Jacob to admit it, to confess it, to repent of it. You see, his whole life he had been deceiving other people, and finally he stops in this wrestling match. He says, what's your name? I'm Jacob, the great deceiver. You ever been asked a question like that? A question that if we were to sit down, you would say, that's the most important question I've ever been asked. Happened for me in a pickup truck outside of my apartment complex as a 17-year-old senior in high school. The question was, what's keeping you from making a decision to become a Christian? The most important question I've ever been asked changed everything. For Jacob, this was the most important question he had ever been asked in the middle of this all-night wrestling match, just going at it. What's your name? I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm a great deceiver. I've been deceiving people since I was born. 
It's only then when he got to the end of himself, when he realized, I got to repent. I got to give up who I've been. I've got to come out of this experience different than I went in. How do we know that? Why? Because after he touches his hip, you're expecting him to let go. That hurt. I'm not done. I need things to be different for me. And he says, okay, no longer will your name be Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Israel meaning the one who trusts. 1,800 times that name appears in the Bible, always signifying the trust, the joy of God's people. He would go in as Jacob, the great deceiver, and come out as Israel, the one who trusts. It's fascinating. He names the place. There are places I will go that have changed me. There are places I will go all my life that have made things different for me. And this place was that for Jacob. This was a place that anytime he passed by, not only the physical location, but walking with a limp would remind him all the rest of his days of what took place in that location. It wasn't the physical location in and of itself. It was what God did in that physical location that changed everything for Jacob. I love this too. My, one of my favorite lines comes in verse 31. After wrestling all night long, hip dislocated, coming to the end of yourself, having to realize that this entire time you've been living a lie and you've tried so hard to create the life that you wanted and accomplish it all in your own strength, only to come to the end of yourself and realize, I can't do this on my own anymore. In the middle of a night like that, if you've ever had a night like that, those are long, difficult nights. And on a night like that, Verse 31 says, the sun still rose. The sun still rose over him. A new day was dawning. The weight of the night was crushing, but joy came in the morning. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're in a place where you've been wrestling with God? And it just seems like you're in a season where you can't get ahead and you're just wrestling and you don't want to let go. And you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And you wonder to yourself, is the sun ever going to come up? Am I ever going to get past this season? Are we ever going to get through this difficult circumstance or situation? And verse 31 says, after that wrestling match with God, when he refused to let go and God blessed him, the sun came up. And a new day with a new identity started. I want to draw a couple things from this that I think we can learn as we have wrestling matches too. Look, there's that initial wrestling match that you're going to have where you've been living this lie most of your life, this idea that you can create the life that you want in your own strength. You've been living this lie thinking that you can do whatever it is that you need to do. You can find purpose and value and meaning only to come up empty and empty and empty and just feel like you're, you're going to go through that initial wrestling matches with your sin and you're going to realize that I, I can't change my very identity. I can't come out of this different if I do this in my own strength. And that's when you become a Christian. But throughout your Christian walk, you're going to have seasons. I'll just tell you, I've had them plenty of times where you're going to wrestle with God and what he's calling you to and what he wants to do in your life. And there's going to be certain places and times that become these memorials of sorts, walking down hospital hallways, sitting at the Grand Canyon. You wrestle with him. You wonder why. You wonder, will the sun come up? Am I going to get through this? How do we do that? How do we get to the blessing that's waiting for us on the other side of the wrestling match? We learn from Jacob, the first is this, that that blessing comes first and foremost through prayer. It comes first and foremost through prayer. Jacob was asking the Lord for his blessing. Lord, please. Not only was he asking for the blessing, but when he didn't get the answer he wanted immediately, he just leaned in heavy. And when it started to really hurt, his hip got to, what he did, he leaned in heavy. He wasn't going to let go. He was persistent in seeking the Lord. I love the way Martin Luther describes this. He says that the story of Jacob shows us that God can sometimes seem hostile to us in our prayer. It's as if we really are wrestling someone who's against us almost. 
Like we have to wrestle with him to see progress. He says that God does this to test our faith and his goodness. Will we press through, Luther writes, what looks like hostility to see the rushing river of God's goodness that runs underneath it all? I heard one preacher say it this way. He said this. You ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Anybody ever felt like that? You're like in the room and you're wrestling through this season and you're wondering where is God in all this? What are you trying to do? And you just feel like you're praying and it's hitting the steel reinforced ceiling that you have. Like, boom, oh, that didn't get to him. And boom, oh, that's not going to him. I love the way this preacher described it. He said, if that's it, if you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off a ceiling, not getting to him, like you're in a season of wrestling and you're not sure what's going to be on the other side of it, he says that's perfectly where you need to be because God's not way up there. He's not on the other side of the ceiling. He's sitting right next to you. And so when your prayers bounce off that steel reinforced ceiling, they're bouncing right back to the God who's sitting on the couch next to you wrestling. And if we will be persistent in our prayer life and we will lean in and pray and walk through these seasons of struggle, there is blessing on the other side. The second thing is this. You cannot manipulate or deceive your way into God's blessings. And boy, do we struggle with this. If I'll do this, then God will owe me this. God, if you'll do this, I'll never sin again. <laughs> you ever made one of those promises? God, if I can just work my angle, if I can just get it my way. God, if I can just work hard enough, be holy enough, go to church enough, study enough, say all the right things, act all the right ways, raise all my kids the right way, never go into debt, live a great life, live, leave a bunch of money to a bunch of people. I'm going to be okay, and you're going to be able to. What you find is you do these things and you just keep coming up dry. You don't get to manipulate your way. The only way into God's freedom and blessing comes from losing to him and wrestling. You see, when, East, when, when Isaac went to Jacob, when he came in all hairy and smelly like his brother Esau, Isaac asked him a question. What's your name? Who are you? And he lied to him. He said, I'm Esau. That same question gets asked to him later on by this angel. He says, Dear, enough's enough. No more lying. I'm going to ask you this question. What's your name? And in that moment, he had come to the end of himself. There's no more lying. There's no more manipulating. There's no more deceiving. There's no more faking it. There's no more image control. There's no more any of that stuff. I'm at the end of my rope. And what does he say? He says, well, my name's Jacob. My name's Jacob. Many of you have been fighting to earn your way. And it's only when you come to the end of yourself. Only when you realize, I don't have what it takes. In that moment, you realize that in losing to God in a wrestling match, you gain his blessing. What is that blessing, though? That's our third point. God himself, his very presence, is the blessing. Notice in this encounter in Genesis 32, they get done wrestling. He gets the blessing. And what does God not say to him? You're good to go. Go see Esau. He doesn't do it. What does he say? He says, you can go, and I'm with you. There is no promise that when he meets Esau, he's not going to die. There is no promise that this whole situation has already been resolved. On top of that, God made him limp, so it's even harder to get away from Esau. Like, you're, if, if, there is no promise that there's a resolution to this problem. The blessing that Jacob receives is the personal presence of God in his life. And I don't know if we believe that anymore, that that really is a blessing. I mean, do you believe that? Is, that? is that sufficient for you? Whatever it is you're searching for in your life, whatever it is you've been working for, whatever it is that you want, do you realize it will never hold a candle to the presence of God in your life? It will always leave you dissatisfied and empty. There's only one thing that's going to satisfy you, and it's his presence in your life. Let me say it this way. Jacob, in his wrestling match, 
He never got a resolution to his problem. What he got was a relationship with the God who was over all of it. And you're going to have to choose between that from time to time in your life too. As you wrestle with God through certain seasons and through difficulties, you're going to have to choose. Do I, am, I, am I mandating that God resolve my problems before I will follow him? Or is being with him the solution? No matter what ends up happening to me. You remember the apostle Paul? He prayed numerous times, God, please take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. And God finally said, Paul, no. I won't, but my grace is sufficient for you. My presence is enough for you. And Paul would then write how he found great contentment in the very presence of God. God may not promise that he'll get you the job that you want or the boyfriend or heal the, the person that you're praying for, but he does promise himself. He does promise himself. Sometimes the greatest effect of a night of wrestling with God, it's not a change to what you're going through, your circumstance, or your situation but it's a change of your identity. You're going to come out of that experience a different person because of what God's doing to you in the midst of the wrestling. Remember, Jacob, the one who manipulates, to Israel, the one who trusts. The one who trusts. In the end, Jacob was able to draw near to God because he got a new identity. And the same thing happens to us when we become Christians. We're now able to access the very presence of God in our lives when we get the new identity that he wants to give to us. And it happens all the time. Jacob walked around the rest of his life with a limp, and that limp reminded him of the transformation that took place. And when you become a Christian, it is not a promise that everything's going to be different for you. Everything's going to be better for you. Everything's going to be resolved for you. What it is a promise is that now you have the very presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, and you're going to be different as a, as a person because of what you've just gone through. For Jacob, that happened in that night of wrestling. For us, it happens when we give our lives to Jesus, when we're baptized into Christ. That is the beautiful picture of this. I don't know where that happened for you. I don't know that location. It's not so much about the location as it is about what took place in that location, when that took place. For me, it was a swimming pool in South Florida. I'll never forget the palm trees that surrounded the screened-in the, the screened porch. I'll never forget how the swimming pool was lined up with all of my new church friends sitting down with their legs in the pool. I'll never forget them singing Amazing Grace. I'll never forget my best friend sleeping through the whole thing in the living room. How <laughs> I stood in the water. And I'd lived seven, almost 18 years of my life one way, doing everything I could to earn my way. And, and, and in that moment, going down and dying to myself, as the Bible says, and coming up a brand new person. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you are a new creation. We regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The, the new has come. The old has gone. And all of this comes from God. All of this comes from God. Location, this room has changed my life and many of yours as well. Not because of the room. Not because of I get to preach with a billy goat. Not, not because of any of that. But many people, they've stood in those waters right there, not with the creek. And they've stepped down into that water one person. Someone who's been wrestling and they've come to the end of themselves and they're just like, I can't do this anymore. And they've gone down into that water and they've died to that person and they've come up a brand new person with a brand new life, a brand new purpose. Just last week, got to baptize somebody who, when I had lunch with them, they said, I, I've worked so hard to create this life, and I, I can't do it anymore. 
And they got a new identity. Look, I want to be bold. If you've never had that moment, maybe today's your day. We'll move all this. We'll move it. We've got everything that you need for today to be that day where that location becomes that memory, not because of the, the, the water, not because of uh, what, what takes place in the room, not because of all of our singing, but because of the interaction that you're having with God in that moment, because of what God's doing in that moment, changing you from one person to a completely new person. And here's the thing, if you've already made that decision, that's already your story. What a better way to respond than to worship. So we're going to close out our time. We're going to worship for a little while. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to take communion together. What a better time to sit back and say, God, thank you. And maybe the third group of people is this. Maybe you're wrestling right now. You're just going through a season. You're like, I, I, mean, I know a couple of you are because I've sat with you the last few weeks. But maybe you had no one to sit with and you're just like, I just want someone to pray with me because I, I'm losing sight of this. And I just want to, I know I'm wrestling with God, but sometimes God brings other people into that wrestling match to come alongside you to help you get through to it. The other side. And if that's you today, while we're singing, while we're worshiping, I'm going to go to the back of the room, the back corner. And if that's you, you want someone to pray with, I'll be right back there. Or if you have a decision to make, you want to become a Christian today, and you want that to become your day where God transformed you from one person to another, I'll be right in the back and would love to talk to you back there. And for everybody else, let's worship the one who made all of it possible for these next few moments. Let's pray.